Good morning, everyone. Talk Radio 930 WTAD 917, the Mary Griffith Show underway. Brought to you each and every weekday morning by Harvest Ridge Coffee and Refreshment Services Pepsi. Enjoy a delicious cup of Harvest Ridge Coffee, whether you enjoy that at home or whether you get that at your local convenience store. Always ask for Harvest Ridge. And thank you to Pepsi, not only for sponsoring the Mary Griffith Show, but for all the great things they do in our community all year long. Brad Funkenbush joins me today. He is the principal at Isles Elementary School on North 12th Street in Quincy. Not his first appearance on the Mary Griffith Show, but we'll still let him refresh to our audience members. Tell us a little bit of the Brad Funkenbush story. Please keep it to under an hour. <laughs> sure. Thank sure. you. Good morning. Uh, yes, I am principal at Isles Elementary on North 12th Street. Um, have been there since the second year that the building opened, um, the 1920 school year. And Get a little bit closer to your microphone sure, there. Yeah. Sure. And so uh, before that, I was at Lincoln Douglas for a year and principal at Dewey Elementary uh, before that and started my education career at Baldwin West as a sixth grade teacher. Okay. So you've got a lot of experience in the Quincy Public Schools. Lots of exciting things are happening. We're trying to make all of our schools as equal as possible. In other words, the the ethnic makeup, the socioeconomic makeup, um, the intellectual makeup, the special needs makeup, the whatever. Everybody has music. Everybody has art. There's no one school that's got more than the others. However, each school has its own individual taste of life. And if you're named Isles Elementary School after the great Tuskegee Airmen that was here in Quincy, those kids are going to get a special field trip to learn about Colonel Isles. Tell us how that went for the school. And, and move your microphone a little bit closer to you. There you go. All right. Yeah, so absolutely. So we did have the opportunity at the beginning of October, um, coordinated by the High 12 Club here in Quincy. And they, um, Rod Cookson had a passion and, and wanted to bring the event to Quincy and the airport. And so he really uh, was one of the spearheads of that opportunity. Um, just a great two-day event for um, every kid of Isles, they were able to go out. They were able to see and touch an actual red tail plane from the war. Um, and then also our older students got to get on the semi and watch the video um, that was about the Tuskegee Airmen as well. So just a wonderful, wonderful opportunity. And, of course, many people in our community went and some other children from other schools went with their parents. You know, I, it's too bad everybody couldn't have done that, but I guess there is a finite amount of time and funding for all of this. Uh, how do you decide something like that? I mean, obviously, Isle School, they have to understand what their school is named after, Um how important and what kind of pride did that bring to those kids? Uh, it was amazing. Um, you know, we talk about Colonel Isles and the airmen. We talk about their guiding principles uh, on morning announcements every day. Um, and so just to bring that to life for them, to do something that's outside of the, the walls of the school and to be like, oh, yeah, hey, that, that, is, that is real. That's not always just something we hear about or see on a screen that I can actually go and touch it. They were all amazed at how smooth the plane felt when they when they got to touch it and that was that was probably the biggest thing is like so cool and I couldn't believe how smooth it was and how small those planes are uh, my uncle flew those he wasn't a Tuskegee Airman but he flew that same plane and how tiny yeah. those little planes are because they were fighter escorts yes and, and they had to be nimble and quick and be able to get away and uh, 
just amazing. You talk about the compact car of the air <laughs> of the airplane world. Yeah. Really, really fascinating. Well, that was great that that the IELTS kids got to do that. And of course, every student, every school will have something special uh, based on the the name of their founder, mm-hmm. and that will be something the kids are very, very proud of. You know, everybody's got their little mascot. Everybody's got their little saying. Everybody's mm-hmm. got their little things that they do. Do you use the house system at Isles? We do. We, yeah. We had, um, we had a group go a couple summers ago, uh, was our first group, and then we have another group going back this summer. And so they have brought that back, and they've done that in their classroom, and then we have whole grade levels doing it. And then next year we'll, we'll implement it across all of our, our grade levels and classrooms. Uh, but really right now I would say that we have probably – 70% of classrooms uh, doing it. Kids are in houses. And so, yes, that is, that's a direction that we're going, absolutely. You know, trends in education come and go. Uh, Ten years ago it was the seven habits of highly effective mm-hmm. people. And uh, I've been mentoring and v- volunteering in schools for a long time. So I remember we sharpened our saw and we started with the end in mind. And I can't remember all of them, but the kids were really being taught the seven commandments. Mm-hmm. I always laughed. I said, they can take religion out of school, but if you're going to put moral values and behavior, you've got to have some kind of moral. So to me, the seven habits were just the, uh, ag- uh, not atheist, but agnostic way of enforcing the Ten Commandments. Sure. You know, don't lie, don't cheat, don't steal, mm-hmm. don't kick the little girl in front of you. You know, these yeah. are, instead of saying, no, we're going to live by these biblical principles, we're going to live by these seven principles. And now it's the house system mm-hmm. where you break down and kids uh, interact all the way from first grade up to fifth grade all together and, and everything. Yeah. And you have leadership and you, you mentor across those grades. Um what is the purpose? How is the house system different than the seven habits of highly effective people, which uh, swept through Quincy schools a decade mm-hmm. ago? Yeah, I think I think the house system is about connections for kids and um, having them feel a connectedness to the school. Yes, they have a, a community within their classroom. Um, they have a community within their school. But sometimes, um, you know, they those are lacking for whatever reason. So this is just another way for kids to make a connection uh, beyond just, you know, the classroom that they're in for the 176 days. And so, um, you know, I think of, of our second grade team right now, and they, they meet every single week, and they break up into their houses every single week um, on Fridays, and they do various activities, whether it's a STEM activity or a social-emotional learning activity um, or a social science activity. They do something together with their house and so that is just another opportunity besides a recess or a lunchtime that they get to interact with, um, you know, kids that they've had in class or they've been in class with before, or their friends from other classrooms. And so um, it's more of an educational setting than like like the recess, I would say. Um, and they they really, really look forward to that. Um, and it also, like I said, it just brings that connection of like, I have a second grade teacher, but all of these adults, all these teachers are, are um, part of my journey. So... Um, it's about that connection. When we went, uh, I mean, to call them neighborhood schools would not be correct because they are bussed across lines to make sure that there's some kind of equality. Um, and the neighborhood school concept is gone now because you go to school with kids that don't live anywhere near you necessarily, so you can't play with them after school. So this is another way for them to build that connection. And as they get older, they can on their own you know, travel or say, mom, can I have a play date with so-and-so even though they don't live two doors down? Um, 
the house system is being used in the Catholic schools, too. Which started first? Did the Catholics start that? or did oh, you? I am not sure. Yeah, I mean, again, it's a trend. It's mm-hmm. happening all over all over the United States. Let's talk about IELTS school in particular. How is your student body doing when it comes to reading and writing and arithmetic? Because we've just had some tests that have, you know, kind of surveyed how the kids are doing. How are kids doing in general at IELTS? compared to, say, the rest of the Quincy Public Schools? Sure. So um, we now, based off our school report card, we're a commendable school. Uh, we had really good growth. Um, not where we want to be uh, for either of those two subject areas, but made good growth and are working to improve those uh, through our school improvement planning process. Why is it so hard to get kids to read? I mean, it seems to me that we're struggling with that every year. Uh, we've tried phonics. We've tried, I mean, you know, I, I've mentored children. I have no formal training at all. I just do it the way I was taught to learn to read, you know, sound things out or learn it by sight. You just have to know that this word is slay. It makes no sense. It's S-E-S-L-E-I-G-H. And that's part of the problem. Don't try to understand it, kid. Just do it. Um, It's really hard to read English. Sure. We have the stupidest rules. I mean, you know, if you telling me that that's slay, you're crazy Mm because it could be slough. Yeah, you know, sure. and, and I, I just, it's very, well, sound it out. Well, that doesn't always work. Right. So what is it that some kids struggle with that? Is there a dyslexia component? Is there a reading impairment program? Is there a visual component? Or does it just take some kids longer? I mean, what? why are some kids advanced readers and other kids are falling behind? Yeah, I think that every kid is an individual. So oh, like, come on now. So if there was if there was one magic program that we knew would would solve it all, uh we'd be we'd be on that, but I think it's a balanced approach and it, and uh what works for some kids doesn't work for um for others. And so it's finding out what that is um and trying to build off of their strengths to um to get them to the reading level that they need to be to, be to. And you know, like you said, some of them uh that's a quicker process than others, but um it's all a process and it's all moving. It's all taking steps in the right direction. So, um, you know, whether that's a, a quick snap of the fingers journey or that's a that's a longer one, um, it's based off of every individual kid. And let's get down to, you know, brass tacks. Some kids just don't practice as much as they should. Uh, some kids enjoy reading. Mm-hmm. Of course, if you're good at reading, then you enjoy it and you keep wanting to read more and more and you're kind of uh, engaging yourself and challenging yourself. If you're not so great at reading, you don't like to do that necessarily. It's a fun hobby. And so part of the problem, I think, you know, of course, I'm an expert on raising children, having never had any of my own. Um, part of the problem is we just aren't reading enough to our kids. And if you don't practice doing something, if you want your kid to be a good baseball player, you can't just go to a game once a week and think the kid's going to get good at baseball. You have to do it seven days Absolutely. a week. How hard is it to convey this message to parents when their children are falling behind in reading that this is not something you can wait till seventh grade to figure out this this needs to be addressed right now this is pretty serious right yeah and we and I know uh, I can't speak for early childhood but I'm sure that they talk about it but I mean as soon as we have um, our August uh, flight school we talk to parents um, parents as pilots and we talk to them about the importance of them starting. Uh, and reading with their child every night. And then eventually, you know, their child will read to them. But really, it is about the conversation that they're having around books. And so uh, one thing that we try to stress is that, um, you know, 
we want that when they come home, we're sending them home with books that they're able to read and they should be reading for enjoyment. And sometimes, you know, as a parent, we think like, oh, they, they didn't say that word right. I need to jump on them and correct them. And it's like, no, like they're going to have a few mistakes here and there. But um, the things that we send home are what they're going to be independent at. And we want that to be an enjoyable experience around books so we can build and foster that, um, you know, that love for reading. Because you're right, there are kids that, um, you know, hate reading for whatever reason. And so, you know, if that's an opportunity of like, hey, I can sit with mom uh, in my bed before I go to bed or go to sleep, you know, then and read a story. Um, and I look forward to that every night. Like that experience has uh, such a great impact. And kids need to be um, encouraged to have books that they're interested in. If it's monster trucks or dinosaurs or <laughs> horses for girls, um, you know, if they enjoy that reading material, they will push themselves to learn those words. It's so funny, though, because I was always a great reader. But when you read to yourself and you read by yourself, you just have to kind of figure out what words are, and you don't necessarily know what they mean. And I tell this story. It's so funny. Um, the little girl's name was Penelope. Well, I didn't never heard that name, Penelope, so I called her Penelope. <laughs> and I thought this chick in this story's name was Penelope. You know, and one day I said something, you know, about Penelope did this and Penelope did that. Mm-hmm. And I think it was either my mother or a teacher said, what is a Penelope? I said, you know, that little girl, they, oh, Penelope. Okay. Well, see, there, it didn't hurt my enjoyment of the book. It didn't hurt my comprehension of the Correct. book. But, you know, that's the other thing that I'm finding so troubling is uh, the names, you know. I mean, it's it's getting harder and mm-hmm. harder. And now they're trying to be so um, inclusive. And so we've got all these um, Latina names and Russian names and different ethnic names that a lot of times kids in Quincy, if it's not a German name, they've never even heard it Mm -hmm. before. And it's hard for the teacher to pronounce. It's hard for the kid to pronounce. And it really doesn't have much bearing on whether they can read or not. You know, if Eric is spelled E-R-I-K or E-R-I-C or if the kid's name is John, you know, what happened to John and Susie? Mm -hmm. But now we've got to, you know, be inclusive and all this. And I get it. I mean... But, <laughs> you know, it's very difficult sometimes. You can't really sound out a name. Right. A name is pronounced the way they want it to be pronounced. Yeah, and you t- you hit it right on the head. It, like, it didn't it didn't impact your understanding of the story. Like, you knew that, that who, that's who that character was. You know, if you mispronounced it or whatever in your head when you were reading it, it didn't impact the outcome of the story. You know, it didn't impact your comprehension of, of what was taking place in the story. So, um, you know, that's one of those things that, it happens, you got corrected, and oh, that's Penelope. So now I know. Now and I know. Moving, and moving forward, then you, you just go with it. Yeah. But it didn't, in the moment of when you were reading, it didn't have a bearing on it. Well, I know that one of the names that's used in where I volunteer is Descartes. And, of course, the kids want to say Descartes. Mm-hmm. And who cares, you know? But, I mean, there is a, per, you know, Descartes is that because of that. I mean, they're trying to be too smart. These people that were in these books. <laughs> They're trying to be too smart. You know, if the if the little doggy's name is Einstein and Descartes, they're trying to teach him a math person. You know, it's like, just call him Spot and Fido. Yep. You know, <laughs> because these kids are not, they don't get the Descartes right. connection either. And I'm laughing because they want to say Descartes. And, okay. <laughs> and I say, no, it's Descartes. And they're like, why? You know, my favorite thing lately in second grade is, but Mrs. Pinky, I know the answer. Why do I have to do all this other stuff? I said, because you have to. Show your answer, mm-hmm. but I agree with you. You'll never have to do it when you're grown up. Um, <laughs> I have to keep my mouth shut, you know. So what are the challenges? Reading is always a challenge. What are some of the other challenges? Math? 
Yeah, I just I think like which the, should not be taught in schools. We should outlaw math, in my opinion. <laughs> that's your opinion. <laughs> that's my opinion. Very good. Yeah, I think and I think Descartes would agree with me. <laughs> y- yes. Yeah, I think it's like we talked about just you know meeting the individual needs of of all learners, and that that is um, you know that's that's the um, that's what we work with every single day and trying to um, make that progress and, and close that gap for kids um, so that they're not, they're not really far behind, you know, because it gets really, really, you get a feeling of hopelessness yeah. and frustration. Yeah. They get, they get frustrated too far behind. And you know who, you know, who's smarter than you. Right. I mean, not in everything, but, and you know, it, it it's really tough. The, the smart kid, has the problem too because they cannot understand why everybody else can't get it, mm-hmm. and uh, especially if they're you know like a math genius or they're really because I often find and is this true you know the different sides of your head for math and and reading, so a kid can be really great in reading and kind of not so great in math sure. and so they've got the dichotomy of how come you know from eleven to lunch I'm a super genius and all of a sudden when I come back from 2.30 to 3.30 I'm a dunce you know because yeah. of a different subject being taught and you know that's frustrating for yeah. them you know to, to have that feeling of um, you know this comes so easily why why is why is this why do I have, have to work so hard right why this other why is why mm-hmm. am I the smart one one hour of teaching and then and it makes them want to avoid that sure. yeah they want to Everybody wants to do what they're good at. And that's that's why we, you know, I mentioned earlier, like we try to build from their strengths. Um, and that's whether that's an elementary kid or a, an adult, like like people like to be built up from the strengths that they have. So um, find those strengths, use them and and help them uh, succeed. My goal in life, if I could do this before I die, will get every child to quit counting on their fingers. Because <laughs> I said, when you go to college, it's going to be very difficult. Yeah. <laughs> to sit there counting your fingers. Yeah. Again, all you have to do, you just, you just, again, it's hard to explain to them. Pretty soon you will understand it and you'll know it and you'll memorize it just like you do your video game. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, you can all reach level six on that stupid thing. Why can't you get to level two in math? Yeah. Well, we talk about effective and efficient. And so, you know, your fingers, are they effective? Yes. They, they can get you the answer that you need, but are they the most efficient way to get to that answer? No. So... You've got the effective. Now let's work on the effective. Life is a time test. (laughs) Absolutely. Absolutely. We'll take a break. We'll come back. Brad Funkenbush, the principal at Isles Elementary School in Quincy, is my guest today. We are back. Brad Funkenbush is my guest today. He's the principal at Isles School. Once a month, we talk with educators in the Quincy public school system. But really, uh, what they're talking about is not unique to Quincy public schools. Uh, for example, recently, just on the news, Carthage is getting some more reading interventionist, reading specialist. Uh, the funding for this kind of comes and goes. Uh, if you get stuck in a year when there's no funding for a classroom interventionist, better luck next year. It, it's so funny that there can't things should be even. We can't seem to get our lawmakers to understand. I remember years ago, there was one year when Quincy Public Schools, they had a cutback, and so they let the seniors out of school like two hours early i don't know what this deal was but i can't remember exactly so i'm old but it's like well you that's it they're seniors you can't make that up next year next year they went back to a full day yeah you know they you'll never make that up it's just like covid we'll never get that back we'll just have to keep going and do the best we can yes 
what would you like to see as an educator? Is it is it smaller class sizes? Is it more kids? Maybe maybe we're. I always think, what really is first grade? What really is second grade? You know, I mean, if I'm half, if I'm in second grade math and first grade reading, where do I belong? Shouldn't mm-hmm. there be something for me? Because you don't want to flunk kids necessarily, but right. then some of them really aren't ready to go on. Yeah. And they just keep passing them along because you don't want a 16-year-old fourth grader. I mean, you don't want Jethro Bodine. But right. at some point in time, if if they aren't getting it, you've got to remedy that. Yeah, sure. And that's when we go through our, our processes of RTI and uh, tiers or interventions um, and, you know, scaffold that for, for them to give them more support. Um, and then sometimes that, that does lead to a special ed evaluation. So... Um, but we do all of those other pieces in between to make sure that we are giving them everything that um, that we can to to help support them. Is the classroom ratio acceptable? I mean, what do you think would be the perfect ratio of teacher to student in a classroom? Yeah, I think you know somewhere around that eighteen to twenty is probably. And what is it at Isle? Um, it varies. Uh, we have anywhere from. Uh, 25 in a class to uh, 15 in a class. So it it, it varies. Um, I would say most of our classes are 20 and above. Why would it vary like that? Uh, it, for us, the, the variance is just based off of uh, kids that are in our district that are that that age group. Um, you know, that we the one You don't grade, have an equal number of second graders, third graders, fourth graders. You're never going to be able to say correct. every class is going to have 19 kids. Correct. Because... Correct. Some years are bigger than others, and yes, yeah, yep. So the you know the our largest class has been our largest class as they as they progressed through aisles. They've always been right there at that that twenty five twenty six level um, since they've been in in kindergarten. And the other grade level that's at fifteen has always hovered around around fifteen. So now that'd be interesting. Can you do some kind of comparison? Are the kids with fifteen doing? better because they get more individualized attention or does it all even out because everybody's intellectual ability is about the same um i mean i don't know specifically um you know for aisles but john hattie did some did some research and uh the effect of class size and found it to be very like a minimal uh minimal outcome um it did have some impact but it wasn't there there are far more things that we can do to impact the learning of kids in the classroom than what class size has on it. Okay. Um, so. so we used to hear back in the old days when the teachers were wanting more money or when they would, we want, you know, lower class size, lower class size. But statistically speaking, obviously a huge class is not good because they'll get very little individual attention. However, if you're disciplined to not, the trouble is you're always trying to hit the median point, mm-hmm. you know, and, and the extremely bright kids, don't get as much attention as they should, and the kids that are struggling don't get as much attention as they should. And it's it's this general, you know, how would you like to, you know, think about this in your marriage or in your relationship with your family. It's like, well, I have three kids, and this year I'm ignoring one of them, but they'll catch up because uh, I only have enough attention time for the other <laughs> two. You know, or, well, my husband, eh, he'll just have to wait till June when I have time to deal with him. Um, so, I mean, we can see that there is a correlation between attention, uh, you know, at least perceived attention, you know, how much a teacher likes or doesn't like or pays attention to you. But um, you're saying that basically the the class will also teach it each other, right? Well, I mean, 
kids learn from each other yeah. all the time, and sometimes they learn better from each other. Um, you know, if, you know if a, if a teacher delivers a lesson and then they have like maybe had some holes or something from the lesson, but then when they get to work together in small groups with one another, then like oh that makes more sense. Like I I didn't understand it how this person was delivering it, but now when I hear it in a different manner or from somebody else, or maybe I just listen to my buddy more than I listen to my teacher type of thing, um, that they, that it, it makes more sense then. So it seems to me in my experience being a classroom volunteer that we do a lot more things when I was younger, of course I went to private school and we had like 45 kids in our class. So it was sit down, shut up, listen to the nun, and, you know, try not to talk too much, little pinky Kathleen Griffith. But it seems to me now they're always getting in their groups, you know, and the groups change. But I mean, it's like we're going to do – and that's helpful, too, because if there's five facts they have to remember, mm-hmm. each kid can maybe remember three, but then it won't be the same three. So they'll be able to coalesce into something that, that yeah. happens. And I guess that's – in a sense, the way real life is. It is. And I think that, you know, it, it mirrors that. Like, you know, we don't work in isolation uh, as much as we as used to happen. Um, and it is about, you know, collaborating with one another um, for, that, for that outcome or that, that final product. How important it is for the teachers to talk to each other about kids? Like, what kind of conversation does the second grade teacher have with a third grade teacher when that class is going to advance to third grade. Is, I mean, do you have your list of these kids need help, these kids are doing better in this, yeah, so this we, one's a real discipline problem? So we, we track data from academic to discipline data on, on kids. Um, and, you know, at the end of the year when we're, we're, you know, second grade, for instance, is moving on to third grade, um, we, have, we have their academic information, and so their next-year teacher gets that as well as their discipline information. And also just really what's the best way to work with this student? Like you've had this kid for the last last year. What did you find that really worked when, um, you know, they were struggling with something or what are, what are their strengths and I can, you know, highlight from go and, and start to build on. So um, that conversation absolutely happens. And like I said, we base that off of the, the information and data that we, we have on kids, um, you know, from how, what their reading level is to, um, how they've done on their math assessments throughout the course of the, the previous year, um, and to referral data, everything. And, of course, when we talk to teachers, we always talk about reading and writing and arithmetic, but there's a whole social-emotional thing, and we've always had it. It's just we never, you know, if somebody was having difficulty, it was like, well, I don't, we'll just put that child in a corner and we'll pretend it'll go away. Now they're being a little bit more proactive about, you know, there's something happening at home we can't control what's happening at home, but we can certainly try to mitigate the damage and try to assist. We'll talk about that when we come back. Brad Funkenbush, the principal of Isle School, my guest today on the Mary Griffith Show. It's 946, and your Farm Market Report brought to you by Centuro and Rex Battery. We're back to our radio 930 WTAD. Brad Funkenbush is my guest today, and we cannot talk about the schools, uh, whether it be the littlest, teeniest ones that my husband works for Quincy Public Schools and deals with the three- and four-year-olds every day and their teeny little questions about life, or whether it's the 17- and 18-year-old crowd and their questions about life, uh, there's a social-emotional component of every child's development. And um, 
what happens in their home is critically important. However, uh, the school teachers have to deal with what's happening or not happening in the home. And a lot of people get mad and say, now the school's taking on too much of a parental role. The school's taking on too much of a parental role. And I'm sure Brad Funkenbush, if you had a faculty meeting at Isle School, they'd say, yeah, we'd like to not have any parental role. We'd like the kids to come to school fed, clean, mm-hmm. having a good night's sleep, uh, not witnessing gun violence. Yeah, I mean, yeah, we'd love to have not have a parental role. <laughs> Let's take a vote on that. Unfortunately, that's not the real world. Kids are living, some of them, in chaos, and they bring that chaos into the classroom. And, in fact, the classroom may be the only place where there's any stability whatsoever because that teacher is going to be there every day. That principal is going to be there every day. That cafeteria lady is going to love on them and give them just mm-hmm. a little bit of extra macaroni and cheese because she knows yeah. they're not getting it at home. How important and what more can be done to support children emotionally and socially? Because that is a big, I mean, you can take a test to see if you can read. You can take the test mm-hmm. to see if I understand two plus two. Where is the test that I am well adjusted? Sure. Yeah, I mean, our social emotional curriculum, uh, they do lessons daily, um, maybe unofficially daily, but they, they have second step. Kind of like um, the house concept. Yeah, absolutely. And so then like second step lessons where they, uh, try to teach kids, you know, the um, the strategies of how to handle different situations appropriately within a school setting. And um, like you said, you know, that, that may be different in um, in a home setting, but, you know, in a school setting that, you know, these are, these are strategies that you can use to uh, resolve conflict or to handle frustration um, that are appropriate. And, um, and so, you know, kids, kids, if they, um, you know, if they, they, they struggle with that, um, you know, we have, we have tiers of support that help them as well. Um, and, and then some kids, they have, they have more lessons um, or different kinds of lessons that they, that they may hear uh, in the SAGE group. Um, and so, uh, just trying to trying to give them the tools and strategies um, that they can use um, on their own. The the term bullying comes up a lot, and it seems to me that this is you know the uh, one constant in life mm-hmm. is that children are mean to each other, and uh, you know that's just the way it's going to be. And we hope that there are caring adults that can recognize that and intervene in a way that really blame isn't placed because the bully's got problems too. Uh, although immediately I'm not too concerned about them. I, I think I was one, though. So, I mean, I really sympathize, you know. I mean, if you're doing those kinds of behaviors, there's something very wrong with you, and you're just picking on somebody else because, I well, know, you're having a bad day. Mm-hmm. We hear a lot about bullying, but how bad is it in the schools? Um, I don't know. I think we, we talk all the time. I mean, the golden rule is the golden rule for a reason, and treat others the way that you want to be treated. And, um, you know, we have conversations about, you know, what you said or what you did um, and seeing how that made, you know, the other person feel like if you put yourself in their shoes, like, how would that have felt for you? And, you know, you wouldn't have liked that to be done to you. And then, you know, just trying to teach them, you know, that's that's not how we're going to talk to people or we're going to act um, towards other people um, as red tails and then just. Um, you know, obviously there are kids that continue on, and so then we progress through discipline on that. Um, and try but to, you find that some of the parents are the big. I mean, the problem yeah, probably is at home. Right, and I wouldn't yeah. say, you know, the problem. I think it's just trying to help them see, help kids see that, um, 
you know, you're going to be in that classroom with that kid every day for six hours. So like, like you want that relation, you're, you're harming that relationship when you, when you say those hurtful things or you, um, you know, you do those hurtful things. So um, really just need to think twice before you do or say. Or as Mr. Greg said on the bus one time when this little boy was hitting this little girl, he said, we don't hit our friends. And this little boy said, she's not my friend. And Greg said, we don't hit our classmates. And the boy said, she's my sister. (laughs) (laughs) Still don't hit her. Wait till you get home. (laughs) But, you know, it was funny Mm -hmm. because, again, you know, that had that little boy had never been a problem before right. and had never hit other kids, but they I don't know why they were sitting together, but that was his little sister. And so, hey, you know, I'm a whale on her. Yep. You know, and, that's, and what's wrong with that? She's not my classmate. She's right. not my friend. She's just she's my sister. She's my sister. Yeah. <laughs> she's not my classmate or my friend. Yeah. She's my sister. So sometimes their little minds are, are so cute the yes. way they work. And and that's one of the, the joys, I think, of seeing kids kind of get things and start to understand things. And it's so funny because um, the computer technology that these kids are so brilliant at now and everybody having their own Chromebook or everybody having total access, understanding and knowing exactly how to log in, how to do this, how to do that. And that's what kind of frustrates me too, because I'm like, you're counting on your fingers, but you can log in, Mm -hmm. you know, with some six letter password that you can memorize that why can't you rememorize seven plus seven is plus eight yeah and and part of that again you know it's um the wanting to do it mm-hmm. how important is it to instill the love of wanting to come to school that that's part of the social emotional they've got to want to be there right absolutely and that goes back you know when we talked about the house system and the connectedness piece of it um you know whether some kids are going to come because they have that that drive for learning. Some kids, you know, you're asking why'd you come to school? Like, I wanted to see my friends. I want to hang out with my friends. Um, some Nobody kids... ever says because we had a math test today. That's why I came to school. Correct. Correct. Yeah. So, well, there might be a couple. Um, <laughs> but no, yeah, I think that it's just about that connectedness. And um, I mean, everybody wants to know relevance of something, right? So like, why am I, why do I need to know this? And so making that connect, helping make that connection for them of like, you know, besides like, oh, you're going to need to know this for fifth grade or you're gonna need to know this for the next grade like in the big grand scheme of things like what what's the purpose um why do i need to know this well as my girlfriend who taught french said one time when the juniors in high school were saying how hard it was to learn french she said three-year-olds can learn to speak french in france so it can't be that hard right so suck it up Mm -hmm. any final thoughts you'd like to leave people with besides the red tails rule uh, we are we are we are awesome. Uh, no, I just want to highlight we just uh, wrapped up on Friday. Um, our second graders led a community give back project to the Salvation Army. We did a cereal drive. Uh, they brought in almost 300 uh, boxes of cereal to donate um, to them. And so, like that's you know that's us talking about being part of a bigger community than just our school community, being part of the Quincy community and and giving back. So uh, just a shout out to them for for putting that together. And the great thing about that is that there will be children at Isle School that will probably get a Christmas box from the Salvation Army. Yes. So they will have given and they will have received. Absolutely. And they'll be able to do that and feel proud about both edges of that. Absolutely. Thank you very much for all you do. Oh, how can you be around kids all day? I couldn't do it. Uh, thank God somebody's willing to share that. Thank you so much. Yep.